What a beautiful reminder this morning of the power and the movement of God. We hope that you've enjoyed, man, just the, the day so far. It's beautiful weather outside and trusting the Lord uh, and looking forward to getting into God's Word today. If you got a Bible or a device, you can open up to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, we're going to be continuing our conversation in this series we're calling Miracles, just keeping it simple, just miracles, the miracles of Jesus in John's gospel. Uh, John was one of his best friends and one of his closest disciples, so he wrote these things down. We're going to be unpacking this this morning. Uh, about Jesus and a man next to a swimming pool. It wasn't really a swimming pool, but it was a pool uh, in Bethesda or Bethsaida. Um, As we get into this, um, I wanted to show you a picture of the the area that we're talking about today. Uh, This is uh, the gate that leads into the area where Jesus actually performed this miracle. And this next picture is actually a picture of the pool itself. Um, This is right outside of the temple area um, where it was in, in Jerusalem, right outside of the wall. Um, And some friends of ours at the church, Terry and Hope Smiley, have been there a few times and actually took this picture uh, and wanted me to let y'all know if that's on your heart. Like if you're saying, I'd like to go and see some of these things in person, so would I. We would love to take a group back, um, just not next week. It's going to be a little bit longer, right? If you know, some things going on. But um, this is a picture that Terry actually took, and you can see some of the columns there. Um, It was a a multi-level, multi-tiered kind of complex. Uh, But if you look close down in the bottom where it's pretty dark and shadowy, there is still water that is still being fed by a spring to this this day. Terry said he didn't tip his, uh, you know, dip his toe in it or anything. You didn't know what might happen, but he, uh, he did get kind of close to that one. And the buildings on top of it were actually uh, a church that was built by the Byzantines called the Byzantine church uh, about 1,500,000, 1,500 years ago. So all that to say, I just want all of us to know that we are talking about a story that took place a long time ago and Jesus's friends wrote it down so that we could still unpack it today. But y'all, it was a literal story that really took place in a place that we have pictures of. Um, so to know that today as we're discussing this, to just help remind ourselves, all right, Lord, like I know sometimes like in my life, I read scripture, I'm like, man, I'm glad that happened a long time ago. But to know that these are very real places that people walked and sat and tried to get into pools. Um, and in this one in particular, a very real meaningful place for our conversation today. So just keep those pictures in mind um, as we get in this. If you've got your Bible, open up to John chapter five. John chapter five, we're gonna begin in verse one is we have this conversation about Jesus healing a man who could not walk. John chapter 5, let's just read verses 1 through 6 as we open up. Jesus is traveling along. So it says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, which is pretty fun that it was a sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda. Other translations say Bethsaida. It's the same one, Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these, so inside the colonnade, as you get in there, lay a multitude of invalids, people that have all kinds of struggles, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. That's a long time. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Which is just a fun question to someone who hadn't walked in 38 years. Do you want to be healed? healed. And this morning, I'm going to ask myself and all of us five questions that I've gotten out of this passage, and I pray that the Lord speaks to you as he's been speaking to me about this this last week. The first one is a very simple question. Does Jesus notice me? All right. Does Jesus notice me? For the Christians in the room, I want us to ask ourselves that question because we live in a world that is absolutely crazy. It's filled with brokenness and sin and hurt and struggle 
Amen? Like it's just, a, it's just a mess all over. So for us to live in a world and try not be of the world, but still be in it, to ask ourselves like, Jesus, do you, do you notice me? And like, what's going on around here? And what's going on in the world around me? I had um, a good conversation with a friend of mine that I went to seminary with and I served with him for a while that just got his first church and he's very excited um, and it's lovely. So I called him up last week. I was like, hey man, I got about 45 minutes. Can I swing by and check out your new place? He was like, absolutely, bro. Come on, check it out. So I walked in. He's like, I feel kind of bad showing you this, but I need to show you my office. All right, translation. We'll get there in a little bit. So I need to show you my office. So we walked into his office and as he opened the door, I thought I was walking into like Joel Osteen's office. You know what I mean? Like there was just, it was this massive room with bookshelves all over the place. He had a private bathroom with a shower in the bathroom. And I was like, okay, fancy seat. This is, this is nice. This is nice. He was like, how's your office doing? I was like, well, it's about 6,000 square feet. It's called the sanctuary. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's how we roll at Lake Point. And we laughed. We had a good time. I prayed over him. It's been a really good time. But all that to say, just a fun story of life. As I've been preparing for this this week, and it was already on my heart last week, the Lord has been speaking to me about this very same question. Does Jesus notice me? So talking to the Christians in the room first. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there will be times in your life where you will look around and go, Lord, do you, are you paying attention to what's going on? Because it's kind of crazy. Like a little act would be really helpful right now. A little smiting might be kind of fun. Like if you could just move in this. And even as a pastor, as a guy who gets to work in the church, there have been times where I've said, Lord, like I love... I love the shopping center thing. Like, it's a blast. I love gravel parking lots sometimes. And I love a little bit of mud. And I like laundromats. You know, like, I get all of those things. But sometimes even I fall into this trap of saying, Lord, like, you're paying attention, right? Like, you see what's going on and how we're doing. And all week long, I feel as if the Lord has been saying, Danny, you have no idea what you're asking. Just this last week, I had a great conversation with a young lady about her story. She's going to be helping us with the foster care dinner parent thing and working with the foster kids. And she's sharing her story with me. And we're talking. And the whole while, I was thinking about this passage that we're going to be preaching on today. It's been hitting me. How many times Jesus didn't go to church to meet people that needed to be healed or helped. He actually went and found them where they were and ministered to them there and reminded them of who he was. So I've been praying this week, Lord, help me see the needs. Yes, in the building, do we need an amen? We're going to get there, building fun. We're excited about that. But even more than that, to not get distracted by anything in my life that's preventing me from seeing how many people around me are asking this very question. Lord, does Jesus notice me? Does he notice me? So if you're a Christian, you're living in a world and it's a mess out there. There are others of us gathered in this place. In Jesus' name, we're encouraging each other and lifting each other up and preparing our hearts to go back out. If you're not a believer in the room or online and you don't have a relationship with the Lord and you're asking yourself this question, I want you to know unapologetically Jesus would say, yes, of course, I notice you. I pay attention to your every move, to your every prayer, to everything that's going on in your life. Jesus was likely alone in this story when he found this man at Bethesda, which is also called in the original language, a house of mercy, which is pretty cool that Jesus met this plan in a place called the house of mercy by the sheep gate where Jesus is the great shepherd. He eventually became the lamb that was sacrificed for the sins of the world. A lot of interesting tidbits from John in that. This pool underneath it was a subterranean stream still there today. It would often cause it to bubble, leading many to believe that an angel of the Lord was stirring the waters the story went that if you were the first one in the waters, when it was stirred up, you would instantly be healed. 
Some people have asked if this could just be an allegorical story. I think it's a very literal story, but there's also some interesting tidbits in here. John was a deep thinker. He didn't write down numbers just to write them down. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus turned water into wine, and we talked about the significance of how many jars were present. Here, John starts writing in fun facts, like there's five porches. That's a cool thing. If you're going to try to sketch it out, why would he write that? We don't know, but many have wondered, could it be that the five porches represent the five books of the law? And that Jesus was walking into this area that was defined by law and people trying to live up to a standard that they couldn't do on their own so that the law couldn't bring healing and forgiveness of sins, but Jesus could. Said so the guy was there for 38 years. That's a long time. For 38 years, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for different places. For 38 centuries, they waited for a Messiah to come. The stirring of the water. In the earliest of the Christian churches, some of the earliest paintings we have of men and women and children, they were baptized as they were rising out of the baptismal waters. The artists actually drew them rising out of the waters, holding bed mats so that they could get up and walk. And you think, what could that be? Could it be a part of this story to know that baptism could be represented by seeing what Jesus could only do in this place? I don't think it's just allegorical. I think it's a very true story, but there are things in here that point to the fact that Jesus is the only one who could have done this. So back to the question, does Jesus notice me? Throughout scripture, Jesus is always going to the places of hurt and pain, always finding people where they were and meeting them in their diff- most difficult moments, even if it was on the Sabbath. Jesus knew this man had been there for a long time before he even spoke to him, and he walked up to him knowing that the man likely felt as if he was not going to be noticed. I got some challenges this morning. If you're in primary school or elementary school, middle school or high school, and you just stop doing something that I did for a long time. As a student, a lot of times I would say, man, when I get to college, then I'm going to start doing some things that I feel the Lord is calling me to do because I'll be older and more mature <laughs> and wiser. Not a chance. So if you're in elementary age and you're putting something off that the Lord's laid on your heart, stop. For the parents in the room, some of y'all got schedules like ours, right? There's like 97 practices a week. How, how is that possible? I don't know, but we're hitting them. We're hitting every one of those jokers. Some of you may have signed up to be an assistant to the assistant coach to a flag football team. There aren't many things I regret in life. I don't, I'm not regretting that one either. In Jesus, like we're trusting in this, but we know that sometimes you get in a situation, you go, okay, this is... This is fun, right? So if you got a schedule like mine as you're a parent, y'all, we can't fall into this trap of thinking, Lord, one day when things calm down, then I will begin to serve you and do the things that you've laid on my heart. Don't do it. If you're a senior adult or you've already entered into a retirement stage of life, I've talked to so many retired folks who tell me, this is the busiest I've ever been. I think that's wonderful, but don't use that as an excuse to not help other people answer this question. I'm not a prophet, but I can speak this truth over every person right now. You will encounter someone this week, whether it's in kindergarten or third grade or at the ball fields or in a retirement home who is asking this question, wondering what their purpose is, sitting around with a bunch of other folks who are struggling, thinking, does anybody even notice that I'm hurting? The unapologetical answer is yes. The Lord notices and he has you and me in this season of our lives to help other people answer this question. No more excuses, church. May we be the type of folks who go out of this place in just a little while knowing that people are going to ask this question. Maybe not out loud. I'm not going to lie. Very rarely does anybody come up to me and say, excuse me, sir, are you a preacher? Usually if they ask that question, there's usually a lot of fun conversations that come after that. I've rarely ever had someone say, I just don't think Jesus is noticing me today. That's not how the conversation goes. 
but I see it all over the place as I see people hurt and struggle and wonder about who they are. So I know and believe that God does have a purpose for each of us, and he's met us right where we are. And if he's met you, we celebrate that. But then we also have to ask him, Lord, who around me is still asking that question? How can you use me this week to help someone else answer that? The scripture goes on to say in verse 6, verse six uh, verses 6 through 9, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him. Go straight into an answer. Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. He took up his bed and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. The second question I want to ask ourselves, whether you've known the Lord a long time or you haven't started a relationship with him yet, is do I want to get well? Do I want to get well? It's a simple question. I think most of us as good folks would say, of course I want to get well. I don't want to sit here and hurt anymore. If I can be honest with you, there have been times in my life where the Lord has said, hey, I want to help you get well. And I have said to him, I'm going to take this one on my own for a little while. I can fix this myself. God loves us enough to be patient with us and let us try to solve things on our own. But I believe he never stops asking the question, you ready to get well yet? Are you ready to get well yet? To me, I've wondered, how many people did Jesus have to step over to get to where this man was? He wasn't sitting at the edge as far as we know. He was in the middle of a crowd, which meant Jesus very likely had to say, oh, excuse me, wouldn't that be awkward? Like, excuse me, blind man. Like, oh, excuse me, excuse me. But I've wondered, and it's not in the scripture. You just got to wonder. Did Jesus ask other people the same question before he got to this man? Could Jesus have gone to someone else and said, excuse me, Mr. Blind Man, I'm here. Would you like to get well today? Could someone else have said, no, I'm good. I'm okay sitting right where I am in the mess that I'm in, and I'm going to keep doing this thing on my own. If that's the case... Y'all, I bet this guy was ready to see him when he got to him. He asked a man who hadn't walked in 38 years, do you want to get well? I love the man's response. What does he say? I don't have anybody. He said, every time the water stirred up, there's nobody here to get me in the water. And the angel comes and they missed out. You ever been missed out on a promotion or passed over on an opportunity or relationship challenge or something with your kids? Maybe you're in a world right now and you're looking around like, well, their marriage is perfect. Their kids are perfect. Their job's better than mine. Their team's winning. My team, it is yesterday was fun though. Like, I mean, it was, right? I mean, can we just be honest? I mean, if you're a Clemson, who were the Clemson fans? We're going to make fun of you for 13 seconds. <laughs> Amen, right? They're just not here. It's Okay. My kids, my kids, this is a true story. On the way to church today, they knew two things. One, it's Bible Bucks Day at church. They're going home with toys. And two, they asked me what this symbol meant right here for the NC State. And I was like, it's Wolfpack. Anyway, <laughs> knowing that Jesus doesn't want anyone to feel as if they are the only one running their race. For 38 years, this man sat by the waters waiting for someone strong enough to come and pick him up and get them down into it, hoping that if that were the chance, he might have a chance of being healed. Now, what does it do with the waters? I don't, I don't know all the details of that. I do know that this man was either crazy or he was seeing something happen to sit there for 38 years. You know what I mean? Because after a few times of water being stirred, some joker getting down in there and not being healed, I'd probably go, it's time to find another pool. Like, this is ridiculous. Something was happening there. Don't have all those details. But I do know this man spent 38 years of his life feeling as if he had been jumped over, messed over, and passed up. It's a sad place to be. So when Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? His first thing is, I don't have anybody to help. 
if you are in a situation in life right now or you have been through that or something like that may be coming, I want you to know that that is the type of person that Jesus wants to meet head on to ask, do you want to get well and to get down on his knees to help pick you up? Jesus says to this guy, get up, pick up your bed and start walking. This bed is something this man very likely had to carry on himself as someone else physically got him next to this pool every day. We don't know who was in his life picking him up and carrying him out. But they very likely laid the bed on the ground, laid the man on it, and left for the day. He might have lived there little pieces of time. We don't know. But I do know one thing. That bed that he was laying on defined him for who he was by everything the world had given him. Jesus said, pick up. Your body is healed. I'm going to conquer the healing in your body, but I'm also going to conquer the bed that you're laying on. And I've wondered this week, I bet you that guy kept that bed, you know, for a long time. Maybe he had dinner with him a few years later. What does your last few years look like? You think he ever said, oh, I got a story. And he went out and he got the bed, said, check this thing out. And it's nice. Good chance. They said, no, that's the grossest thing I've ever seen. No, that, what are you doing with this? But maybe the man said, I lay on this thing for 38 years, dude. I defined myself by who I was to my mom, to my dad, to my family, to the people around me. This thing defined me. In all of my limitations, in all of my inabilities, in all of my weaknesses, in all of my failures, in all of my sins, until one day some dude showed up and told me to pick it up and start walking with it. I don't know if you have a bed like this in your life, but I pray that if you do, you would trust in Jesus enough today to hear him saying, get up, pick that thing up and walk out of here. Knowing that God doesn't define you by what you have done or have not done. He defines you by who he is and what he has done for you. And nothing in this world can separate you from his love, which is ours through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus said, get up, take your bed and walk. So the challenge for us in this point today is to give your bed a name. Now, if I were to say that to people in my family, like, I will, it's called nap time. You know, people are like, we ready, like, give it the bed, let's do that. Not that type of bed, but I am saying whatever in your life may be trying to separate you from defining yourself from who you are in Christ, name it and trust the Lord with it. This guy didn't even know Jesus' name when Jesus healed him. He didn't have all the answers, but he wanted to get well. A difficult part with this question, there are people in our lives who do not want to get well. It breaks my heart to try and try and try and pray and pray and pray and serve and serve and serve. I think it breaks the very heart of God. Some people in this world who just don't want to get well. I believe that there are people that Jesus met that missed out on opportunities because they chose to say, no, I'm good. So we got to ask ourselves a tough question, y'all. Is Jesus asking to heal us in a certain area of our lives that we are currently saying, no, Lord, I'm good. I've got this one. If that's the case, you're missing out on freedom and grace, and a life that God has promised to anyone who says yes. I believe that there are some who would have and still say, no, today I'm, I'm good right here. I'm going to keep sitting on this bed of mine. He goes on to say in verse 10, so the Jews, all right, so this happens, like Jesus heals this guy. It is a Sabbath, right? It's like a church day. The Jews, the folks that are around him, these are the religious folks, church folks, they said to the man, all right, so this guy's just got healed. Bam, instant, picks up his bed, starts walking. Their response is, it is the Sabbath. And I don't know how they said it, but in my mind, it was like real fancy. It is the Sabbath. Then it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. The third question I want to ask us is, is there anything preventing me from seeing the work of God 
in my life. It says seeking, or as I sing, anything preventing me from seeing the work of God in my life. I don't know much about this guy, but I do know a few things that if it happened to be me and I got up and started walking with my little hairy legs down the street and somebody looked at me and their first reaction was, excuse me, son, you're sinning. You should be carrying that bed. Do you think that guy might have said, I'm gonna give you 13 seconds to start running as fast as you can. When I catch you, I'm gonna smack you in the mouth. Like maybe he's, he's like, are you serious? Something just happened. 38 years this joker's been laying by this pool. 38 years the folks that have been around him have been seeing him laying by this pool. And their first reaction to a healing is to put down the man who experienced the healing by saying, you're not supposed to be doing that. Get back on your bed. And what do you think the guy did? Rolled the bed? No, there's no way he's going to lay back down on the bed. I asked myself, what were the other people that were laying there saying? You think any of them were going, dog, I wish I'd have said yes to that guy. I wish Jesus had knelt down beside me. I think the crowd that was around him noticed what was going on and probably started saying, what's his name? Tell me the dude's name that you saw. I need to meet him. But it was the religious people that missed out on what Jesus had done because of the laws that they had. I'm a church guy. It's what I do for a living and it's who I am. I've got to ask myself this question. Lord, is there anything in my life that is preventing me from seeing the miracles that are taking place in front of me day in and day out? Even even church stuff, even religious stuff. Because these people missed out on a chance to throw a party. Wouldn't that have been good? Like what if they'd walked up and said, Steve, I don't know what his name was. It was probably like Naphtali or something. Like Steve, you're walking, bro. This is insane. That's the reaction I want people to have. You know what I think some new Christians struggle with? Coming down to an altar and giving their heart to Jesus and the church going, yeah, wait, I know you. You used to party last Friday night. You ain't supposed to be doing stuff like this. I know who you used to hang with or be with or do think. I know the story. I know the bed that defines you to not allow anything to prevent us from seeing the work of God that's happening right in front of us. If you're a church person, if you're a religious person, if you're a Christian, I fall into a few of those categories right there. We've got to challenge ourselves to not fall into the same trap that some of these people fell into. Doing good things, serving the Lord, getting tired serving the Lord. There's nowhere in scripture says you're not going to get tired. But it means we've got to remind ourselves. So just for the men in the room, if you're a father, a husband, like you're trying to provide and you're doing things, at the end of a day, you ever had a day where the end of it, you go, if one more person calls, it's about to be a party, you know, like let's do that. And you pull in the driveway I'm just being honest with you right now. I've got to challenge myself on a regular basis to say, Danny, Lord, help me to not miss out on the miracles that are waiting for me on the other side of this door. I've got a wife that loves me and three kids that are healthy and a home and a job and a life that is a gift. But if I get distracted from seeing the work of God in front of me, I might start defining myself by other kind of beds and other kind of temptations, other kind of things. And all the while, the Lord say, no, I want your focus right here. Don't miss out on what I'm doing. If you don't know him, I would pray that you wouldn't allow anything that's happened through religious stuff or church stuff or church hurt or any of those things. I've had a lot of conversations with people that want to tell me their thoughts on Jesus, and some of them are just heretical, but we still have a conversation. Because Jesus says, what? Come unto me. He says, let's have a conversation with everybody. But I've had conversations with other folks. So if you're in a camp where you don't believe in the Lord, you're not following Christ, and you're struggling because you've seen a lot of bad religious stuff or bad church things or some bad pastors, all of those things are real, Okay? Church does dumb things sometimes. People are, cover your ears, little kids. People are dumb sometimes. Don't tell your teacher tomorrow, but sometimes they are. And it makes you want to look around and go, what are you doing? 
But I've also met people who are missing out on the miracles of Jesus Christ because they're so hurt by what someone else has done or said. And all the while, I think the Lord is saying, no, no, no. I want to meet you right where you are and do things that you can't explain. Is there anything in this life that's preventing me from seeing the work of Jesus Christ around me? I do believe that Jesus said many times to his friends that were close by, hey, pay attention. You don't want to miss this. This is about to get real. Look around and take note of what Jesus has done and thank him for it. Dwell more on the things that you see God doing. I only have one of them. Thank him for it until you see something else. The world is full of things that are going to try to distract us from who God is and what he's doing. And the devil wants us to get distracted and dwell on those things all the time. Something will happen in your life. Don't buy another self-help book. Dwell on this. Thank God for who he is and for what he's done. If you don't have something, I ask you, and I'm serious right now, ask somebody before you leave because we're not a type of church that's going to say, are you serious? We're the type of church who'll say, man, I've been in place like this. Let me tell you about some personal stories that we've seen just in the last few weeks. Don't miss out on seeing what God is doing all around us. One pastor said recently, no matter how much religious activity you're engaged in, if you're not in the business of changing lives, then you're not in the business of Jesus. That's a good line. To know that God doesn't want anything to prevent us from seeing what he's doing. He has a plan and a purpose for you and everyone around us. The scripture goes on to say in verses 11 to 14. So this dude's been asked by some, some religious folks, you ain't supposed to be walking? And just so you know, like in his day, like breaking the Sabbath was a little bit different than in our day. I break the Sabbath, I'm like, I'll just catch up next Saturday. In his day, like the, their next follow-up was going to be, you know what the law says, bro? It says we're supposed to stone you to death because you're carrying a bed on the Sabbath. Like we think they were good folks for honoring the Sabbath. There are also some serious penalties for not honoring the Sabbath, right? So this man is caught up in front of these folks and like, hey, you're not supposed to be doing that. What does the man say? Bro, the man, the man healed me. The man that said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him a great question. Who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. That word means he slipped away into the crowd as there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, look at what Jesus does. Jesus found him once again in the temple and said to the man, the last thing he says was, pick up your bed and walk. The next thing he says is, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The next question, there's only one more after this I want to ask us today, is what is it like to be found by Jesus? What is it like to be found by Jesus? This man, Jesus found him the first time. He didn't even know his name. He just picked up his bed and was like, this is the best day of my life, and started walking. People said, who did this? Who told you to do it? And what does he say? Jesus did. From the initial encounter with Jesus in this guy's life, Jesus becomes a scapegoat and the one who's willing to take the stones on his behalf. Before he even knew his name, Jesus was like, blame it on me. I'll own this one. So I've got to ask myself, what is it like to be found by Jesus? If you have been found by him, I pray that it has radically changed your life. A few years ago, we were on the beach and we were sitting there hanging out, having a beach time. It was fantastic. Sun was shining. Kids were pretty good. On that day, they were good. Other days, that day, they were good. But we, we were sitting there and I saw this little girl walking. She was little, two, three. And I said to my wife, I was like, Shante, that girl's lost. You ever seen a kid that's lost on a beach with a million people? Because we have to go on Summer vacation with everybody else that has a school calendar now. So there's like a billion of us on one square mile. But we're there. And this little girl's walking by and says, Shawnee, she doesn't, she doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know where mom is. Because Shawnee's a mom and I didn't want to be that guy. I was like, hey, kid, are you lost? Here's some candy. I, didn't, I, I worry about that. I'm just being honest. I struggle with that. So I said, Shawnee, can you go talk to the little girl? And she ran up like a mom and she was like, hey, little girl. 
Are you okay? Immediate, just waterfall, tear, lost it. And you know what she said? She said, where's my mom? I just want mom. And Shawnee picked her up. She took her to the lifeguard. And they said, this happens all the time. And so we'll call her. 45 seconds later, a minute later, here comes mom chucking it down the beach. like elbowing people, throwing them out. Where's my little girl, right? Where's my baby? And she got to, I saw her. I was like, I can approach. So I went and said, hey, I, I think my wife, I think she found your daughter. She's at the lifeguard station. And just, she pushed past me. So she's going, she found her baby and they embraced because she had been found. You ever seen a moment like that? Where you just know what that feels like. If this is good. Jesus wants to find us just like that. Knowing that when he finds us, he wants it to be a moment where we go, finally. I've been waiting for someone to find me in a world that I feel lost in. And to know that this man found this guy. This Jesus found this guy two different times. The son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Who is lost? All of us. Who is Jesus seeking? Every one of us. Who does he find? Those that are willing to choose and believe when we are found. Jesus didn't just come and seek and save a few of us. He came to seek and save everybody. The sad thing is he's asking everybody, do you want to get well? Do you want to get healed? Do you want me in your life? And a lot of people say, no, I'm good. And he lets them have it. Don't miss out on being found by him. We don't have to have all the information or all the details. We don't even have to know his name to begin to experience the miraculous power that can come through him. I've asked myself, why didn't this man thank Jesus for healing him? Why didn't this man say, what's your name? I want a closer relationship. I want to follow you. I don't know. But I've wondered, one commentator writes, is it is possible to experience an exciting miracle and still not be saved and go to heaven? Could it be that this guy was healed by Jesus and never followed up with becoming a follower of Jesus? Jesus says in verse 14, see you are well, sin no more. Jesus never said your sins are forgiven like he did to many other people. There's another story in Mark's gospel where a man is healed by Jesus. Jesus slipped away. It's almost identical to this. And Jesus slipped away. The temple guards came and said, who did this to you? He said, I don't know. I was just blind, but now I see. Like, what's going on? And it says that Jesus found him again later. You know what the man did? He fell on his knees and worshiped him. He acknowledged that Jesus was everything that he says he was. I don't know all about this man, but I do think there's a chance that he may have missed some of these opportunities. Could it be that the man seems to have accepted the gift but chose to ignore the giver? I think he might have. God gives freely to everyone who chooses to love and believe, and other people even catch that. But I never want to miss out on acknowledging him for being the one that gave it to me. What's it like to be found by Jesus? The last few weeks, we've been reading stories from individuals in our church who have experienced miracles in more recent times. Last week was an absolutely just beautiful story, and today I have another one that I want to read from a friend of mine, uh, Mr. Terry Kennedy. It's Justin's dad. There he is, looking sharp. That's a cool picture. Can we get, I mean, that's cool. Almost as cool as Jeff's picture for communion thought, like, but that's a different story. I mean, it's just true. Jeff looks sharp. Terry sent me these last, these words this last week, and if you have, y'all, I had two more. It's, can't make this stuff up. I had two more people on the way out the door today that told me things that don't have an answer. There's no, I can't explain them. Like things are happening. What, I don't get it. We just give God the glory for it. This is Terry. So if you have sent those to me, two more people today said they're going to send them. We're going to keep reading these, but I'm excited by, by how many are coming in. This is Terry's words. I was diagnosed September 2nd, 2020 with an aggressive cancerous tumor inside my C2 that was eating away at the bone with numerous fractures. I've had many spiritual miracles throughout this journey and definitely more good tears than sad tears. 
I've known since day one that this happened to me for a reason and a story to tell to whoever would listen. Even though there were many miracles that happened to me, this one truly stands out. After the diagnosis, I went five days a week for five weeks of radiation in downtown Atlanta at the Emory Proton Center, which is another miracle story for another day. I went Monday through Friday, and Sherry, my beautiful wife, drove me there every day. After treatment, we were ready for some fresh ocean air and relaxation. Sherry's parents have a condo in Daytona Beach Shores that they graciously let us use anytime we can go. I would like to say I was never intending to share some of the things in this story, but God had different plans for me. I'm a huge outdoorsman and have always appreciated God's beautiful work in nature, but now more than ever, the first morning the sunrise comes over the ocean with such a blood red color that I was overcome with emotion and I just couldn't help but start crying at its beauty. We were going to bed fairly early and every night I would wake up between 2 and 3 a.m., I started taking advantage of this time by going out on the balcony, getting on my knees, and just talking to God for a little bit. As I stated earlier, I never planned on telling anyone I was doing this. I know it doesn't matter where or how you pray, but it just felt right at the time. On our last night there, I woke up around 2.30 in the morning, and I opened the sliding door. I always looked around and made sure I was not on display since I was in, since he's not wearing this here, since I was in my underwear and t-shirt most of the time. (laughs) We didn't do that to you, Terry. This is a fully closed picture. I was looking to find a spot on the balcony where I was going to kneel. I've never had anything prepared in my mind to say. I just let it come naturally when I knelt. As I pinpointed the spot I was going to kneel, all of a sudden this loud voice in my head began to say, but I have already healed you. It really startled me and comforted me at the same time, but I knew it was God. I've never had anything like that happen to me. I proceeded to kneel and talk to God. When I returned to bed, I wanted to wake Sherry up and tell her, but I knew we would not be able to go back to sleep since we were leaving at six in the morning. I could not wait to tell her what had happened to me. As we left the next morning, driving over the Port Orange Bridge, I looked over at Sherry and said, I've got something I have to tell you that happened to me last night. She looked at me and said, are you about to make me cry? And I said, I believe so. I barely got it out of my mouth and we both parked and cried for 15 minutes before we could say another word. God has been with me through this entire journey. Cancer is not a path I would have chosen, but through this spiritual journey, I've had so many blessings and miracles, and my faith has grown even stronger. I'm a very blessed man, and I'm so proud to share my part of the story. I'm happy to report that I am in total remission, and I go every three months for blood work just to stay on top of what the Lord has already done. Y'all, let's give Terry a hand for sharing this story. There's this picture there. As he's been in total remission. We thank the Lord for what he's doing still, for stories in scripture of a man that was healed from laying next to a pool for 38 years all the way to Terry Kennedy, who lives a few miles from here and still loves to hunt. We're trusting that the Lord is still doing things that we can't explain. Jesus went on to ask this last question as we get ready to head out today in verses 14 to 15. When he looks at this man who has just been healed, had a question about how it happened. He didn't know Jesus' name. Jesus finds him again in the temple and says, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. The question that I have leads us to leave with is really like, could it be worse? I've wondered if this guy who had laid on a bed mat for 38 years had Jesus say then to him, if part of his questioning was, mm, I don't think it could get any worse than it's been. But y'all, Jesus knew that it could. 
He knew that this man could live another 30 years or 40 years and still not have a relationship with him. Jesus knew that eternity was far longer than 38 years. So when he said, don't let anything worse happen to you because of the sin in your life, I think once again, he's given him an invitation to trust in Jesus for all that he is. I don't know what could be worse than lying hopelessly next to a pool for 38 years until I step back and say, Lord, what would my life be like without you in it? The man did run and tell the Jewish leaders what Jesus had done. Jesus became the scapegoat for him and is willing to do that for all of us, even those that don't really understand all that he is and all that he came to do. He's already taken the stones on our behalf. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53, 5, he, Jesus, this was written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came to live. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. By his wounds, we are healed. I don't know what it's like to be lame. Thank the Lord. I don't know what it's like to be blind. Thank the Lord. But I do know what it's like to be found. I do know what it's like to have a prayer answered by the very presence of Jesus Christ. Just this last week, I told Shawnee, it doesn't make any sense. I was just standing there, brushing my teeth, praying while I brush my teeth because she's listening to scripture in the background. It's cool because we're just, we're just a holy people. No, we're not. We're just trying to find little bits and pieces in the day. We're like, well, this is a good time to do that. You ever had this happen? Now, let's just start sharing more of these stories. I feel like somebody was standing right next to me. I'm not making this up. It was so warm. I, I thought somebody, I thought a kid, which they're usually asking questions, but I thought like, it was so warm. I did a double take and I even asked him, I said, Lord, is that you? Because you're freaking me out. I was like, is that you? And I just continue to pray. He wants to find us. He's doing everything in his power to gain access to you. Not so that he could run up to you and go, oh, you're lame. Not that. But so that he could get on his knees, church. The creator of the universe the savior of the world, the only one who's ever died for the sins of the world, gets on his knees to meet people where they are. On their level, next to their stinky mats and beds that they made for themselves and define themselves by their own glory. He gets on his knees and he asks questions like, you want to get well? Pick it up, baby. Let's go. Pick up the mat. And then he gets up with us. And he walks with us so that when other people look and say, you really believe that story? You really believe this Jesus thing? You really believe the Bible stuff? I can go, yes, because I talk to him every day. And in those moments, I've heard the very voice of God that says, and I am with you and I will never leave you. But what breaks my heart is that I'm going to live in a world tomorrow in Morgan County, Georgia, sending my kids to go to school in school systems and my wife to teach in a classroom where there are a lot of people who don't know the miracles that he's offering. So if you don't know what he has done, I pray that today is the day that you would accept and believe. Finally say, I want to be found. I want you to know me. Because when we do, y'all miracles start happening. I can't promise a miracle like some of the ones I've shared from the personal stories, but I can promise you this. I wouldn't be standing where I am doing what I'm doing, living where I'm going to live for all of eternity if it wasn't for a miracle that Jesus did for me. And he did it for every one of us because of his great love. Do we trust? Do we believe? Are we willing to say, yeah, sir, Lord, I want to be healed? Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for doing the things in my life that I cannot do, could not do on my own. I thank you for being a miracle worker, Lord. Lord, I thank you for stories like Terry Kennedy, things that we, we can't explain other than just saying, Lord, I give you the glory and the praise for it. 
Lord, you know the lives of your children. You know what we've been through this last week. You know it's coming up this next week. Lord, the world is hard. There are things happening all around us every day that cause us to say at times, what is going on? I pray, Lord, that we would all know and trust and believe that you are who you say you are and you've done what you promised to do and that you're willing to go to the places where people gather who have a lot of questions, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. Jesus is never intimidated by those things. He goes in the very presence of it and he offers healing to anyone who would embrace him. So God, I pray today for anyone that doesn't believe in this place, anyone that doesn't believe that's listening online, that they would have a conversation with you. If they want to have a conversation, Lord, and ask for healing for the first time, accept the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus really did come. He really did heal this guy 2,000 years ago. He really did live a perfect life, go to a cross, and was crucified on the cross. That he was buried in the grave, and that three days later, Lord, he came back to life so that anyone who called on his name would be saved. Lord, Scripture says, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that you have raised him from the dead, we will be saved for all of eternity. Lord, I want everybody that I know, everybody that I meet, to have a chance to know what that's like, to know what it's like to be found by their creator. Help us, Lord. If anybody has prayed that or wants to know more, they can come up and talk to me, other folks that are gathered up front this morning. If there's somebody in this place that is in need, and of a miracle, Lord, I, we just ask for your will, but we offer to pray, to lay hands and to trust in you in every situation, Lord. So I pray, God, if there's anybody in this place that needs someone else just to pray over them or with them, in the next little while, let them come up as we're singing this song. They can come to an altar or talk to you right where you are. Lord, help us to dwell more on what you have done. And thank you for the things that we can't do ourselves. We trust you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name.